Hello, everybody. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, that guy named John from the About to Review podcast. This episode you are about to listen to was actually recorded quite a few weeks in the past, but due to some health issues, it was not able to be released. So now that I am feeling a bit better, I wanted to start releasing some of these episodes from the back catalog with various guests and movies from a few weeks ago. You will notice the dates on these correspond to when the movies that we're talking about in each episode were coming out. So when you load up your podcast app and you see a new episode, but the date is from May, that is why. There will be some new episodes being released very soon now that I am feeling better. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all of your support that I have received on social media and various emails and messages. It really means a lot as I, as I kind of work through uh, this issue. So with all of that being said, again, thank you for your support and enjoy this episode, A Blast from the Past. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere, and definitely the likes and reviews help. New episodes come out every week. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out the website, abouttoreview.com, which has full links to the show notes and guests, as well as a support tab if you want to help out the show. I actually got through that without flubbing it. You should flub every time. Which I'm, is, I'm a fan of that. Well, I'm surprised just because it has been a while. It's so been... uh, thank you first to everybody who, uh, yeah, has just been kind of well wishes and everything. So there has been a, a break uh, mm-hmm. in episodes. Uh, this week, there are going to be like three episodes dropping because mm-hmm. a couple of them I recorded a while ago, and then I've not had a chance to edit due to some just health stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, this week there's going to be more about to review than you ever asked for. Uh, but joining me on this week's super mega ultra movie rundown is Tim Health People's Critic. It's good. I was here last time. It's good to be back. I was here in the last episode with yeah, our friend the, the last, the last yeah. released episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was a month ago. Yeah, about a month ago. Which is is crazy to think about. So, but yeah, this episode is going to be the most packed episode that I have done in a long time. A bunch of movie reviews for uh, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, Aladdin, Brightburn, The Perfection, Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a little bit of the Sif Short Fest, Ma, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Rocketman. Okay. So, a lot to get through. Uh, Before we get into any of that... We'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Also, shout out right at the top of the episode to Damien Randall, who 
is in the middle of some amazing projects. Mm -hmm. So definitely check out Ill-Mannered Media on Instagram is where he is kind of updating uh, the most stuff over there. Damon is just crushing it. Like, I am really happy. I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah. Like, it. we are getting updates, basically, like, the behind-the-scenes <laughs> updates every day that he yeah. is working on his current project, which, yeah, there should be some more announcements of soon. So, yeah, Damien is just one of our best friends, and I am just super excited and happy that he is living the dream. Yeah. Because he deserves it. He has been putting in the work for a long time. Right. So... All right, uh, the geek news at the top of the show. Uh, I'm not going to be recapping the geek news for the past like two or three weeks. Yeah. Uh, just the most current things. Robert Pattinson, there was a rumor that he was being cast as Batman along with Nicholas Holt. They were doing these screen tests and yeah. like they announced it. And then a couple days later, they're like, nope, just kidding, not really. Mm-hmm. And then they just finally announced that Robert Pattinson officially is going to be playing Bruce Wayne, Batman, mm-hmm. In a trilogy of new films directed by Matt Reeves, mm-hmm. I'm okay with this. I like I, I like Robert so Pattinson. many people are like he was a sparkly vampire. Cool when he was like 18. Yeah, I think most people's uh, the most high profile thing he's done has been Twilight, sure. and that's what they know him from. But you know, if you've seen Good Time, he's good in that. If good you've time seen is... The Rover, he's good in that. Yeah, he's been good. Co- Cosmopolis, Cosmopolis, he's um, been doing some good work. So. You know, for other people who've been aware of his work, I think it's not a bad choice. He'll be able to bulk up and do the things that people said Christian Bale couldn't do because he was mm-hmm. a machinist and was like 40 pounds. Right. <laughs> like, it's fine. Like, you know, what I need is a good story. Yes. And then we're good. That is this is a good story. <laughs> that is all we ask yeah. for. Just give me a good Batman story and I, I'm, I'm good with it. The, the thing that I want the most out of this, other than, yes, a solid story, I want a detective story, a true story detective story we got a little bit of things and he was like reconstructing a bullet and then hacked into people's cell phones for sonar and it was like just he batman is the greatest detective show him detecting things yeah we've never really seen that even if he's doing some detective work as bruce i'd watch that yeah i mean like just focus on both characters and make it compelling because both you have to give us both compelling characters because if we were just waiting for the next Bruce Wayne scene or waiting for the next yeah. Batman, like, just make it compelling. Give us yeah. a solid movie. But I, like, I'm on board for Robert Pattinson. Uh, do you remember when, I think, was it Charlie Day and Always Sunny? Mm-hmm. When, like, he gained a bunch of weight one season yeah. and then came back just jacked? Not Charlie Day. The, what's his face? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The other one. <laughs> yeah. um, and people were like, oh, you know, what's your secret? And he was like, uh, when you have the money to get a trainer yeah. and a nutritionist... Literally anybody can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so with Robert Pattinson, like... He'll be fine. Yeah. Like, he he will bulk up. Uh, he has the jawline for it. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be all right. Um, I think he'll be, he'll be fine. There was one rumor that was saying that he might not be a Bruce Wayne Batman, but maybe, like, a Dick Grayson or something. And who knows? I think... I mean, you'd have to explain that. Easy. I mean, but you'd have to you yeah. have to explain it. I get, yeah, I say easy because Tim and I have like, been reading these. We know forever. it, but like yeah. you'd have to explain it for people for what would make sense, right? So you're doing a completely different origin story, and that would take mm-hmm. up, you know, a chunk of your film to say this is what we're at. And if they're doing three movies, that could be interesting. No. I still want a Batman Beyond movie with Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. We might get that in this one. Oh my god! Do not do that. I'm, I'm saying like, it's not <laughs> like, hard to do. 
it would but, not you know, be. But we'll yeah. see. We shall see. But yeah, so I'm down for that. Uh, I did not know this next movie was coming out until we went to a screening, or I went to a screening of Godzilla. That is a lie, because I sent you the trailer. I ignored the trailer. I sent you the trailer. <laughs> so I go to the screening for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, right. and as I walk in the theater, there's a giant, like, 15-foot cutout for 47 meters down, uncaged. Yeah, they're out of the cages. <laughs> but they end up in a cage. In no, the tra- <laughs> they end up in, a like, a Mayan ruin. Right, they're in, like, so the setup for this next dumb movie is these three, four, four girls go scuba diving mm-hmm. in an ancient Mayan city underground. Yeah. Uh, and surprise, there are sharks in there. Yep. They get they're trapped, right? Okay, <laughs> just like I, that's the setup. I mean, that's fine. It is. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that movie is coming out, starring Jamie Foxx's daughter. Uh, Olivia? No, not no, Olivia. Like Corin or Corin or something. Oh yeah, yeah, Corin, something Corin like that. Fox or something. Uh, yeah, but I've never seen her in anything. But this is her. This is going to be where people get. To wow, see what her. what a way to start. Good 47 meters down, uncaged. Hey, get it out there. Get your work out there. The one thing that I will say about 47 meters down, the first one that we reviewed two years ago, whenever that was, they had a really good fake out like towards the end of the movie. Best part of the movie. That was great. Like I really enjoyed that. The rest of it, I was just, yeah. I was struggling it's hilarious. through that one. Uh, my favorite part about, though, these two movies, the production company behind these movies is called... Entertainment Studios, Motion Pictures. Good. That is the fakest name. That is like, if I go to like, uh, yeah, checking into a hotel. Are you Ben Affleck? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I am Anne Beflick. Yeah. Like, good, that good for them. Entertainment Studios. Why waste time on a name? Why? <laughs> Amazing. Just put it out there. I think I, I'm excited. I mean, these are, these are, you know, low budget, lo-fi horror. Yeah. It's, you know. The bar is very low, so they very, just have to clear it. Very. But how good are the... Sh- I mean, and they went back to using the red uh, light, which was used yeah. really effectively in mm-hmm. the first one. So who knows? Yeah. Some contrived reason. It'll be fine. If it, if it doesn't really catch fire in the theater, I'm sure it'll get a lot of love streaming. It's the kind of movie you see in, in oh. stream and be like, oh, yeah. a shark movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And watch it. Are they releasing it? during shark week if not that is a huge missed opportunity yeah i would definitely do that if it was during shark week for sure that sounds like i need to i need to check the release date because yeah yeah, that would any of anybody at entertainment studios motion pictures if you are listening whatever your release date is now if it is not during shark week change it yeah shark week would be great uh yeah so next the new gods movie Mm -hmm. that ava duvernay i was i was waiting for kind of the other shoe to drop Mm because she was announced to direct this I want to say like over a year ago. Yeah. And I was waiting for it just to fall apart. But actually it is moving forward. And Tom King, a fantastic writer, is on board to like help write the screenplay and to work with her for New Gods. Mm -hmm. Tom King did the Vision series recently. He did an amazing Mr. Miracle Mm -hmm. series. Like this actually gives me a lot of hope. Mm. I'm cautiously optimistic. It is still DC. I still, yeah. they still have no vision. More than DC, it's Warner Brothers that I'm concerned yeah. about. Not really necessarily DC, but Warner Brothers as as a studio, the way they handle these big projects. I mean, outside of the Nolan stuff and outside of the Harry Potter stuff, it's been real hit and miss with some yeah. of their some of their big tentpole films. So that they have been more cautious than anything, but 
you know, hopefully Ava and Tom King could put some magic together and, and figure out a way to tell this story. Because, I mean, you have a great writer and a great director. I just, I think the main thing, and you kind of talked about it with Warner Brothers, the studio involvement mm-hmm. could be the downfall of a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Because we already know that these two people involved are great. Yeah, they're talented. So. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And I just, I hope they do a completely different story in New Gods. Because even though Dark Side was referenced a couple times in the previous movies, just make this a bright colorful movie similar to like Aquaman and Shazam, even though they both had their dark moments, this is DC's chance to like, just do something different. Even though I'm not concerned with DC (laughs) Warner brothers, it's Warner brothers. I'm concerned with even, even with Matt Reeves, the Batman it's Warner brothers. I'm, I'm concerned with not, not who's doing the Joker movie. Warner brothers. Warner. Yeah. Okay. Same, same. I have the same concerns. Yeah. That one, that is a weird one where we got a teaser trailer, an actual trailer, some footage, like some leaked pictures, and then nothing for the past couple months. Yeah, but I fully expect Joker to be sort of a one-off the way Logan was with yeah. with Fox's sort of X-Men properties. Just to sort of be this thing that, that exists in a similar world that's attached to it, but not really. Yeah. Then we got Birds of Prey coming out and all that stuff, so we'll see. They, yeah. they have a, they have a lot of stuff moving. They have a lot of moving pieces. They don't they, all, do. they don't come for a while, but we've got mm-hmm. some moving pieces. Yeah, uh, and then onto a Netflix show that I am super excited for: mm-hmm. Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. I saw clips of this at New York Comic Con last year mm-hmm. um, on a panel with the writer and one of the I think the director. It is ten episodes, so I forget if they have multiple directors. But at the panel, it was just the two of them, and they were like, we literally, two days ago, just finished. They're like, so what we are showing you guys right now is, like, fresh off of the cutting room Mm -hmm. floor. We only saw, we saw basically some more behind-the-scenes things as opposed Mm -hmm. to finished scenes. Mm -hmm. This is old-school puppetry meets modern technology to kind of make it more seamless. Mm -hmm. This looks incredible. This is a prequel to the Dark Crystal film. And I just, I am so on board and so happy to be back in this world. Even though it terrified me as a kid, Mm -hmm. the Skeksis look just as terrifying now. Good. So. Should be fun. I think it'll be nice getting a whole new generation of people into the Dark Crystal who may not have ever heard of it or watched it. Yeah. And especially, I think, because they are (laughs) using essentially the same puppetry techniques. Mm -hmm. You could put that you can watch these 10 episodes and then watch the movie. And other than like some film grain difference, right. it looks like it actually it looks like this is in the same. It's been world. a while since I've seen the movie. So good. Yeah. It's been a like, while. It's still it is still brutal when you really think about it, because, I mean, they're draining the Gelflings. Hey, don't spoil it for people who may not have seen this movie. <laughs> the Dark Crystal. Yeah. 1987. Yes. There are plenty of people out there who've never seen Dark Crystal. That is insane. Ugh. Okay, fair enough. It's it's for us. It is something that I think people in our sort of nerd sphere have seen. Yeah, for a lot of people, because this is now popular culture. This is all new to them. Yeah. So it, but it was a, a very there are very dark themes in the original movie, yeah. and the villains are scary. The creepy beetle monsters. I remember are we scary. had like this. We had Dark Crystal. We had Labyrinth. We had yeah. Neverending Story. We had like a phase of like these type of like really dark fantasy things yeah. for kids that we sort of all watched. That they were great. Each, each of them, when you when you watch them as an adult, you're still like, 
yeah. yeesh. Yeah. Like this is Separate labyrinth. I was like, this is labyrinth. There are parts of it where, yeah, it is. It's dark. Yeah. Uh, the part that always scared me with labyrinth was uh, just take off your head. Yeah. Like they're taking off their head and bouncing it around. I'm like, this is terrifying. Labyrinth is great. So we had Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. Um, I forget what the release date is for that, but definitely coming up uh, really soon yeah. for Netflix, dropping all episodes, totally on board. Uh, Disney is continuing their live action remakes. Yes, they are. Uh, I explained this to somebody recently, and they did not really know this kind of little bit of behind the scenes, I guess, industry stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons Disney keeps doing these live action remakes mm-hmm is that by doing this, they extend their copyright. Mm -hmm. That is the main... People are always like, oh, why do they keep making this? That is one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. The biggest example of a studio doing that was the 1994 Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. That is terrible. Yeah, it's not good. But the... And the only reason it exists is because they were running... They were getting close to the copyright Mm -hmm. or the trademark deadline and in the copy... In the language it was like you need to make a movie within this time frame and they were like crap we have two months left yeah. through day their movie and shelved it immediately right. because all that had to say was you had to make it so that is one of the reasons disney keeps doing this but the latest one they just announced snow white good i have zero interest in that because it's, you don't like snow white story I just, Snow White was one of the old school disney movies that was old when we were kids yeah like it was you know like similar to like Bambi and stuff like by the time we watched it it was still 20 years old I just never really had a big connection with Snow White Um, I like some of the songs from it but I get Snow White Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella all mixed up wow that's a problem I mean because I just like when I saw them as like they're not ones that I've gone back to a lot as an adult they're like all three completely different stories I guess yeah, <laughs> it's just like, like way different stories. Which one has the dragon? I'm not answering this question for you because I feel like I've the dragon is in Snow White, Maleficent. I whatever. So mm-hmm. it just I get them all. Just you should probably figure that out. Since Disney is a big IPO and they're gonna be putting this stuff out. Yeah, I probably should. I will watch Snow White again. Like it is. Not, I have no negative <sighs> uh, feelings towards them. I just do not really remember them okay. very fondly. But yeah, so Snow White is the next one to get the live action treatment in like 2022 or 2021. I thought um, Mulan was coming next. Uh, well, sorry, the latest announcement mm-hmm. is Snow White. Yes, Mulan is the Lion King, then Mulan, but Snow White was the latest one they announced they're yeah. going to be doing. And then um, rumors that Zendaya might be Little Mermaid. Really? Yeah, I don't know how true it is, but that's one of the one of the one of the rumors. After, have you seen after her stint in um what is she in Dune after Dune oh I cannot wait for Dune after Dune she's gonna be so excited that's the that's the rumor I don't know how true yeah. it is uh, have you seen her new show on HBO it hasn't come out yet oh okay she seems to be hype about it and enjoying it. I think because on two weeks yeah she's she's staying busy good she for her seems to be like excited it's a departure from what she's done normally yeah it's a different show but yeah cool good for her though. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I will watch Snow White and remind myself of what it is. Um, you should watch Other it. than Whistle While You Work, that is about the only thing I remember. And Whistle While You Twerk by the Yin Yang Twins. Uh, <laughs> great song. That's, that's, Everybody, there's yeah. some hip-hop history for yeah. you. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, membership for the Seattle Film Critics Society is still open. 
definitely encourage people to apply if you are a local film critic. Even if it is something you're like, oh, well, I have my own. I I only, quote unquote, have my own blog or I only do this. Who cares? If you're producing content, give it a shot. Apply. Uh, the link is in the description. John is really below. pitching this terribly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> here's my pitch to people. Go for it. We're trying to make our, we're trying to grow our critics society, mm-hmm. which means we need new members. We want a, we, the more members, we want a more diverse population, which was for our voting, for our nominations, for our projects. Right? The, we want to do more things, and the more hands we have to do more things, the better things are. So we encourage people if you are at all reviewing films consistently, mm-hmm. if you love film. Uh, reach out. Where can they apply? So SeattleFilmCritics.com. Uh, the link is below. I'm probably just going to edit this click and take out my whole flub and just have, you, <laughs> just have you talk about it. Just click on the... No, it's important. But I think this is how I see the membership. Yeah. Like, we really do need more people. We do. And, you know, we'll sit around this table and we'll have a bunch of ideas. And the more ideas we have and the more we can sort of workshop some of this stuff, the better it is. Whether it's creating an actual physical award or having an award ceremony or whatever whatever it is we're doing, right? The more resources mm-hmm. we have to pull from, the better we are. And we need more people. We definitely need more women. We need more women Absolutely. of color. So if you're a woman of color in this area, please apply. Uh, we need you. Yeah. It was something that recently there was a thread on Twitter that somebody tagged me in just kind of asking about female critics. Yeah. And so I sent them a list of about 10 female critics and then I linked to another film critic that I know, and she has a huge thread about it. And I pointed out that of our current film critic society of a little over 20 people, we have three. Yeah. So definitely, yes, encourage women to apply, people of color. Just, yeah, come join us. So the link is below. All right. Uh, Again, man, I am rusty. You would think it has been a month. Uh, Okay. So the first movie review. Of the episode, John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. Yes, John Wick. So, uh, how about you uh, lead this one off? Well, this movie takes place sometime, like right after the events of the <laughs> feels like a day yeah. later. <laughs> uh, right after the events of the second movie, um, and John Wick is on the run. He's trying to find some safe haven because the high table is after him because he killed uh, Santino mm-hmm. in the in the the continental which is breaks the rules and it's mm-hmm. all about rules and stuff so he's on the run and then that leads to a contract on his head for 14 million so we got all these hit people hitmen and women around new york city going after john wick and that leads to him taking a trip and hooking up with holly berry mm-hmm. they go on like a brief mission and then that leads to a big showdown between john wick and the high table high table at the end of the film and on the other side, there's an adjudicator who's going around uh, essentially talking to people who helped John Wick and they're having to pay a price for that. And, mm-hmm. and then she also was trying to help the high table gather some local people to take out John Wick. Yeah. This movie starts at like a nine mm-hmm. and never really lets up. Yeah, That is one thing that I love about these films, both with the first two and now with this one. The consistency in tone and pacing is the same. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition. No. (laughs) It's just a lot of, like, we kind of know what's happening. What is nice is that the exposition we do have, though, like this world building that started in the first one where people have these coins and there's this language that you use. The hotel. The hotel, the continental. And then the second one, we get a little (laughs) bit more. 
Will you get the marker and all right. that stuff? Yeah. Third one, we expand immensely, but everything still makes sense. Yeah. That that is what it is. It all fits in this world. Yeah. A huge tribute to the writers. Uh, let me pull them up real quick. So Derek Colstead did the screenplay, Shay Hatton, and there are four other people involved. But like to have this crazy hyper realistic assassin world mm-hmm. and for us to watch and be like oh, okay that that makes sense yeah that makes sense like I you could. would you would have this marker that you carry mm-hmm. that has somebody's thumbprint on it in blood because you saved their life and that gives you the opportunity to then be like hey you, you owe me, owe me. Favor, like yeah. this is it was incredible chad stahelski the director proves again that he is one of the best action directors yeah. of our generation. Doesn't he come from the stunt world? He does. And that makes it <laughs> so yeah. much more authentic. Mm-hmm. Like he was Keanu Reeves stuntman yeah. in some of his earlier movies. But I also think it allows in the one thing I, I remember I interviewed Nash Edgerton years ago who's a stuntman and mm-hmm. was doing some films and he was saying um, it allows you to get other really cool stunt people to work on your film. It, it, was, it was same yeah. with Michael Jai White when he did Black Dynamite which was like he did all this work <laughs> and so mm-hmm. You're getting real stunt people in this film doing yeah. these ridiculous stunts, but like you're getting good people to work on this project you're with. And so, you know, this guy having been in the world for so long, he's able to get really good stunt work, really good other. And I, I say this all the time, right? You're allowed to get the best of the best people. Yeah. We were having, I was having a conversation with Kendon the other day. Um, and we were talking about. Shout out to Made in the 80s podcast. Shout out. We were talking about um, Disney and, and this whole long conversation about Disney and whether or not they care about art, whatever. But I was like, look. When you have a company like Disney that has deep pockets, it allows you to get not necessarily the best directors and actors, but the best editors, the best yep. sound design, the best sound <laughs> stages. Like that stuff is important. You know, if if you want to do a Star Wars movie and you want it to look great, it's going to cost money. Mm-hmm. And it's going to need to be to have the best to make it sound and look great to feel like you're immersed in this world. You know, you want to do it on a, on a budget like a sci-fi show. Cool. But it's just not going to feel the same. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel artificial. Um and so when I when I look at this movie, I'm like, man, he's had so many cool connections that he can get all these cool people. So the bike stunts look great. The, the fight sequences are choreographed well. Mm-hmm. They're not too fast. They're not too slow. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You don't have to like the camera doesn't have to push in because we can't see the action. It yep. can pull back and we can see everything happening. Which is my biggest complaint. And you have heard me talk about it. Yeah. Everybody who listens has heard me talk about it. With so many action movies these days, these hyper-realistic action movies, that camera just punches in. Like Mile 22? Oh, God. Well, but seriously, I'm not, yeah, all it, jokes, it is, we yeah. joke about the movie, but like, that was one of the things. The editing ruined We have a guy movie. who we know can do it, and then yes. you push in the camera, and like, okay, well, I'm just looking at a bunch of fists flying. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, and we see a guy's leg get snapped. Yeah, and he's <laughs> up on the street. That's the whole, yeah. But with yeah. this, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Chad, I mean, has been in the industry yeah. forever. And these movies have been really successful, so it's not yeah. like, "Hey guys, uh, yeah. can you want to, can you be in my project?" I know my last four movies suck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Hey, I'm doing a new John Wick. Do you want?" Or probably people are like, "Hey, the next John Wick, man, let me." Yeah. If you well, got like, if you got some space for me, I want to <laughs> I want to fly off a motorcycle and hit a truck. <laughs> well, and okay. the people that are in this, like, so Tiger Chen is mm-hmm. in this, who yeah. is Keanu Reeves' actual martial arts instructor. Mm-hmm. They met when. That he was doing some fight choreography for, I think, some of the Matrix films. And then Keanu Reeves, one of the other reasons that I love this guy, as opposed to just like we talked about with Robert Pattinson, Mm -hmm. getting into shape for a role. Keanu Reeves was like, cool, I want to learn how to do these martial arts for the Matrix. 
but I really want to study this. Mm-hmm. And this is not just for a role. So he has continued his martial arts training for years mm-hmm. with Tiger Chen. So Tiger Chen is in this uncredited. Yeah. Because he probably, same thing, it was like, just called up Chad or whatever. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I heard you're doing this. Do you need anybody? Yeah. Of course I do. Yeah. Brings me the guys from the raid. Yeah, they're in it. Woo! They're great. Like, and it just, the fight choreography stands at the top. Mm-hmm. My only issue with the fight choreography, though, and this is the hardest part about fight choreography in film, is to make it look organic mm-hmm. and to know that, to make it look like, okay, I know he was going to kick here, so I need to grab here and do mm-hmm. this and this. There were a few times where that happened, where Keanu Reeves is fighting like four dudes and you see somebody kind of waiting for that next thing, but it did not take me out of the film. That's, every, that's every movie. I don't That's That's Bruce Lee's films. Like, why are they all standing around while he's beating up 600 people in <laughs> Enter the Dragon? Like, with that scene in Enter the Dragon, Enter the Dragon when he goes down to, like, free the slaves under the island. Right. With, like, people standing around. I'm like, he's been whooping everybody. Somebody, y'all right. should just jump him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, but that was incredible. Uh, I will say, and our friend Jess had brought this up and other people have as well, this movie is brutal. Yeah, it uh, is. The, the gun kata that I love... <laughs> From like the first ones and everything, like he shoots people so many times, but not just like a double tap, mm-hmm. like in Zombie Land. He will shoot them six times in the head. Yeah, like empty a clip into them, reload, then shoot them twice in the stomach. And it was like, like bro, the one, <laughs> what are you doing? That scene when they're uh, when he's overseas and the guy goes flipping down. He's like shooting him. No, At, no, it's in in the continental. Yeah. He's shooting the guy as he's falling. He, like, he has shot him down. Yeah. No, it was actually it was in it was in the Middle East because yeah. it was the dogs. Yeah. So he shoots him off of a rooftop. The guy bounces off of another rooftop and comes down. Ken Reeves is still shooting him. Still as, shooting him. <laughs> like, it's great. You got him. Yeah. Like you got I think him. He's dead. Uh, Conserve your ammo. There, but <clears throat> the variety of fight scenes I think is also what helps these movies. Yeah. Is we see a scene in this kind of museum. Where we see people are throwing knives. It's my favorite sequence in the film. It is. By but far. again, he does not just throw a knife into somebody's head. He will throw 18 into your yeah, chest. He, he had to do with like 10 <laughs> knives. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, you got just it, buddy. Throwing, just throwing. And, and like the sound design is great. Yeah. That's what makes these scenes great. The sound design. And it's such a different sound design. The knife throws are a different sound design than like <laughs> he's fighting Boban, that NBA player inside the library. That's a great different sound because it's mm-hmm. everything else is quiet. It's, it's very quiet thuds and it's not a loud fight. Um, but then the street scene is a different sound design. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the stuff when you're overseas is is it's, it sounds chaotic. Yeah. Um, and even it gets even when they're, they're, they're the 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 armor piercing bullets. Right. That design like it's so it's, they really put some thought into making each sequence feel different than the last one. Yeah. And the color design, the yep. lighting. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we started seeing in the first John Wick, stayed yeah. consistent. Mm-hmm. These movies, you know, how we talked about before with Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. you can watch all three of these movies back to back to back. It all looks the same. Yeah. Same vision, same color. They do a really clever thing. And this is something that the 80s action movies would do all the time. Say you have a crew of 20 stunt people. Mm-hmm. You have the same guy in a bandana in one scene, same guy in a hat in one yeah. scene. So with this, they have people with motorcycle helmets. Yeah. They have people with stuff around their face. Yeah. Super clever. Because, again, if you have 20 great stunt people, use them. 
Yeah. Find a way to use them. That's great. 16 different times. Right. Uh, Mark Dacascus. So glad He's to see great. him. Right. And back. really funny. Like, he got to be funny, which, which I appreciated. <laughs> and not just, yeah, because I was excited to see him back just in a martial arts film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like his character. He's hilarious. Yeah. Up until the very end. And then he's funny. He's, like, he's, he has some great lines yeah. right at the end. And it was like, good for you. Yeah. Good for you, Mark. Uh, Halle Berry is in this. Yes. I still, after 20 years, mm-hmm. do not know why they keep putting her in action movies. She's good. She is good in this. She's good. I just still, I, I don't know. She's good. They, I, I think in the right pocket, she's good. I, th- I think she was good in, in this. It was more believable. What other action movies was she in? Uh, Catwoman. That doesn't count. The X-Men movies. That's, those aren't action movies. Mm. They're not action. That's not a... She's, she's not... I mean, as a whole, the X-Men movies don't do fight choreography. <laughs> yeah. Right? Since when? Right. Psylocke does a flip. Like, we, we haven't seen any Beast. It's all cable wire work. It's all CGI. She's never really done action like this. Except this, Catwoman. That's you're you're legitimately counting that CGI heavy Catwoman is an action movie. <laughs> it, a movie most people forgot happened. Which I, I a movie with one of the worst basketball scenes we've ever seen in, in on film. Oh, with Benjamin Bratt. It's bad. Ugh. I wouldn't count Catwoman as an action movie. This is okay. an action movie. This, she's in. I mean, yeah, this is undeniable. I think an in this movie. pocket, she's good. Yeah, you make her a badass. You give her something to fight for. You give her a bit of emotion. Mm-hmm. She reacts. In a way where you're like, I that's understandable. All of her actions seem, you seem to get. Yeah. I'd watch this character again. She had amazing dogs. Her dogs were crazy. The dogs had their own form of gun kata. Yeah. <laughs> Little bulletproof vest. Like, it's hilarious. It was it was amazing. Yeah. But um, I like her. I like her in this film. I think she does a good job. I think. Uh, James Bond. She she wasn't really doing action in that. She was she was, she was doing it. she was doing action she's so much the, so that they thought they were going to like do a Jinx spinoff. Yeah, she's she, she was like the Bond girl, like an action where she's a lead right in the action. Like she hasn't had that. She's been like fighting lost kids for the last five years in films and in, in bad <laughs> and wigs. driving yeah and, and driving in a bad wig. Like that's what's been happening with her career. Right. Um, but it's good to see her phase into that because I think for a lot of women of color, they're not necessarily given the opportunities to do these kind of roles right True. we've had zoe saldana the closest zazi domino domino she gets to be domino yeah so i mean it's a handful so yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, that holly got this look to do this um i'd watch her do more stuff like this if you want to put her you know she's not a lead like giving right. her an, a real strong supporting role to do some really interesting action stuff. So you, and imagine you put someone put someone she can act, right? Mm-hmm. So to say about her wigs in these movies, <laughs> right. she can act. So you put her an actress who can act in the middle of this great stunt crew with a good script and a cool story, mm-hmm. and this is what you get. Yeah. So, but yeah. Overall, I just these films continue to be consistent, yeah. which in genre films is tough. In a series of films is tough. tough. It's but, hard to do a series of films and have them be consistently fun. Yeah. And this they've done they've somehow figured it out. And every and I think everybody in this is also having fun. Ian McShane, first of all, yeah, he's is fun. chewing the scenery yeah. and everything. Lawrence Fishburne, like everybody's seen everybody connected to this film. Yeah. It just felt like they were there because they wanted to be. Right. Versus some of the movies that we see, right. some of the movies that we will get to. Mm-hmm. It is a paycheck. They're they're an actor. It is their job. Everybody felt like they just wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So the official rating system. If this is your first time listening to the About to Review podcast or your first time listening to it in about a month, um, there are three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. No stars, no letter grades. Good is a film you enjoyed. Bad is something that you might not recommend exactly or right away, but it was decent. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Tim, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Um, it's good. It's yep. good. I'm I'm excited for whatever's coming next for this film series. Mm-hmm. I wonder when they're going to run out of ways to kill people. Because they've exhausted it a lot. They've books. Machinery. Space. Space. Under, underwater. Under, mm. You are a horror fan. Yeah. Every horror franchise ends up in space at some Gotta go in space. <laughs> so. Gotta go in space. Yeah, Annabelle Space is probably going to come out next year. <laughs> it's just the doll ends up in the future in uh. space. And terrorizing people on Mars. Okay, we have now seen this doll. We have another one coming out. Yeah. We have seen this doll. Past. Present. Time for the future. I mean, <laughs> might as well. The time machine takes Annabelle to the future oh, and is terrorizing people in the year 2030. Uh, yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, absolutely a good. Like, this, it just, it was so much fun. The whole time. This is, uh, to be fair, it, that, it's fun. Like Exactly. Yeah, it is, all that we've said, it is a fun movie, and that's yes. important. Uh, if you can get past the very, very intense violence. Hyper-violent scenes. Um, this is genuinely a fun movie. And what is different, and I struggled with this a little bit when I was initially thinking about, of my review, in other films with less competent cast or director, mm-hmm. a white guy going around just shooting a bunch of people of color mm-hmm. gets really old and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Something about this never feels like that. Even though he kills everybody yeah. from white, brown, black, like everybody. Yeah. But it never has that feeling like like, like a, a Bruce like a, Willis like a Peter Berg film where it's just like yeah, exa- exactly. nondescript. Because I think the people of color in this film are giving some sort of agency, right? So you've got Something. yeah, you've got um, sort of this ninja clan of people going mm-hmm. around, and you kind of feel like you know who they are and what they do, right? And they've got some versus kind versus, of faceless yeah, brown faceless brown people going around, yeah, yeah. just mercenaries <laughs> in brown skin and turbans killing people where yeah. you don't really have any idea, even even when they go to. Um, Indonesia, where do they go? Where do they go? They go Istanbul. Istanbul. They go to yeah. Istanbul. Like you have a sense of what that world is like, even though we're only in it for a few minutes, mm-hmm. and who these people are and what they're trying to do, and you know why they have to kind of shoot their way out of this building. Like all that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that it was just that was something that was interesting. Yeah. About about this film. Yeah. Okay. Next film. Speaking of live action Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Aladdin. Aladdin. Uh, directed by Guy Ritchie. Guy, this is a Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> Boy, is it a Guy Ritchie it's film. It's a Guy Ritchie film. Uh, starring some relatively unknowns, other yep. than Will Smith. Uh, Mena Masood, Naomi Scott, uh, Marwan Kanzari. So, a bunch of people. Yeah. A bunch of light brown people. Yes. Which was nice to see. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Aladdin, I've talked about it before. For years on this show, is arguably my favorite Disney movie. I didn't know that. Like top three favorite Disney movie behind Snow White, uh, or Maleficent, or uh, Cinderella, or Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, um, all three of those. No, uh, but Aladdin. I love Aladdin. I have seen it countless times. I saw it in the theater. It was somebody that I could actually relate to mm-hmm. on screen, which is always important. Yes, he was a brown thief. thief. And I was like, perfect. Stealing <laughs> apples. Um, he stole, well, he stole, technically she stole an apple. Yeah. He stole a loaf of bread and gave it to the poor kids. Yeah. The poorer kids, poorer I kids. should say. Yeah. 
So this live action adaptation uh is is rough. I say that really? because from the beginning when Will Smith goes into the Arabian Nights mm-hmm. song it is so flat and lifeless. Anybody who has been to a musical or been in musical theater and you went to um, art school, mm-hmm. I was in theater, that opening song needs to set the tone and get people excited about the film. Like La La Land. That opening number of La La Land is one of my favorite things in La La Land. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie, I mean... No, I, I was being serious when I said that. Yeah. Like La La Land. Uh, in the Heights. Yeah. Like, you can name so many musicals where it punches you with that opening song and you're like, okay, I'm, be, uh, I'm in for the ride. When Will Smith goes into this Arabian Nights, like, it's seriously... Arabian not like it just has no He's just not a natural singer. He is and it shows. And that's that's And so why do you open it with Cause, him? Cuz the cuz the movie opens with that. The but original it, opens with that. It mm, I I disagree. There are there is a way that they could have done this where it could have done started the same yeah. with him whatever when he goes into that song cut to a fade away of other people singing in the village. It would make sense, but it just starts off so. So when you when you make the choice that you're going to tell the story this way, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're making the choice that you're going to have Will Smith in this film, right? And the other choice you're going to have him sing. <laughs> this is what you get with this is a, it's yeah. a series of choices that led to this. It's flat. It's not terrible. It, just it didn't had no ruin em- the film. Emotion, it just like... was like, oh, this is a weird way to start it, Cause, and it, it's only compounded because the second song we get is flat too. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, but then once we get to the Cape of Wonders. It, it picks up with a friend like me and friend like me is is okay, and well, again, like this is tough because of course we are comparing it to the animated this, one. What I say the song is okay, but I think the visuals help. on screen help. Yes, get through that moment, and you're like, okay. Then next thing you know, we're outside the cave and we're getting into what Aladdin wants to do with his wishes, and the genie looks like Will Smith, and they're mm-hmm. talking, and it's it's Will Smith being Will Smith, and he's being charismatic and fun, and it's it's a much funner movie. Once we get to that point and it starts rolling. The to me, it only got to that point when he is already in the castle and he was trying to impress Jasmine. Okay. That scene was hilarious when they were talking about like, uh, I have jams. Oh yeah, the jams. And scene. Will Smith like is just Will Smith. But that's Will Smith being Will Smith. Ex- and that works. Like yeah. it totally works. But man, leading up to this was a it was a to me, it was just really hard to get into this this film mm-hmm. because like again I care a lot about the first one Will Smith when he is in his human form works like it absolutely works he can be Will Smith it can be funny <laughs> it can be charismatic every time he is the genie mm-hmm. it never feels real it never feels like they shot in the same room CGI but it's still like it, it there was just such a distance there because CGI but it, you should at least have the actor there or like the person with the ping pong ball to it's, re- but it's not Will Smith so who are you interacting with Again, anything, but who, but as I mean, this young kid who is fairly new, mm-hmm. yeah, like that's it's a skill that it's hard. I imagine through his acting classes, through everything, like he's acting with real people, and then now you put him on this big set and he's acting with something that's not necessarily there. Yeah, I mean, it's yes, probably it, difficult. It is, it is difficult. It was just that was another kind of distance that I felt with this. Uh, Naomi Scott as as Jasmine. It's good. I was impressed with her. Uh, best singing in the film. Easily, yeah. Easily the best thing she has an original song, Speechless, Speechless yeah. which they only did so they can get a nomination for best original song. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe 
I mean, so the people behind this who did the music, Pasek and Paul, mm-hmm. did Greatest Showman. Oh, your favorite film ever. Uh, I really, that, that that movie is great. I've never rewatched Problematic it. subject? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, for sure, not <laughs> honest about him, but yeah. Oh, no. I, I still feel so strongly, if they had just named that The Circus and not made it about P.T. Barnum, you can still have that movie. Yeah. They they cut out a lot of the bad P.T. Barnum stuff. Ugh. Like, yeah. P.T. Barnum was a terrible person. Yeah. Um, not, not the greatest. But yeah, Pascal and Paul actually are doing... I wrote it down somewhere. They're doing something. Beauty and the Beast or something. No. What they do uh, is Snow White for you. They have, they have another one coming up that, like, so these, these guys are staying busy. But anyway, so yeah, Naomi Scott as Jasmine was solid. I really liked yeah. her. Uh, the choreography in this, the dance numbers good. were really good. Mm-hmm. I liked that they mixed some cultures in this. They were like, mm-hmm. this is vaguely Middle Eastern. This is straight up Indian Bollywood. Yeah, right. It felt very Bollywood, especially the Prince Ali segment. Very. It felt very Bollywood. But those worked. Like, yeah. the, at least, like as much problem as I had with the kind of musicality of some of those, mm-hmm. The actual choreography worked. Um, that scene when they all dance together was great. When Aladdin yeah. is being kind of manipulated, and, yeah, like that was good. There was definitely some interesting CGI choices with that. Mm-hmm. When it came to uh, Mena, who was playing Aladdin, every time he would like go to turn, like you can see kind of the CGI mapping of his face kind of blur because mm-hmm. obviously they put in a professional dancer. So Jafar, I love Jafar. I was not a fan of he Jafar. He was so slimy. Well, yes. <laughs> I loved how slimy he, he was. He was never as menacing as I think he could have been. I think he was meant to be menacing. And I think that was a weird choice. I think he was meant to be like I'm, a slimy underling who feels like he knows how to rule better than the Sultan. Not a menacing guy who wants to... He's power hungry in a way. It's it's like it's like what we've seen in these Bond movies where the these big menacing villains have transitioned into like weird techie guys who are sort of slimy individuals who are right. moving money around. Right? It's a different Alan coming. Yeah. I'm invincible. Yeah. It's a different kind of villain. So I think it is. In in updating this film, just like they updated the Sultan where he's not this bumbling guy. Right. The villain isn't this power crazed person. He's more of a slimy I want to rule my way. I know mm-hmm. the right way to, to sort of rule Agrabah, and I'm going to do it. And he's not even he's not even after Jasmine like he is in the, in the cartoons. Yeah, which was always kind of creepy. And to the end where he's like, hey, this is what I want to do just to mm-hmm. show you. I'm going to make you watch this. I'm going to be with your daughter. She's going to have to marry me. Right. Which makes sense. And she's not after being with a happy husband. She wants to be sultan. Yeah. So there's some updates to it. Which, yeah, there were some updates. <laughs> I was worried about those updates in the beginning when we first see – Aladdin and Jasmine running through the city away from mm-hmm. the guards. And we see the famous scene where they're going from rooftop to rooftop. Very Guy Ritchie. Very Guy Ritchie. But that was the first moment in the original where we see Jasmine have some real independence and courage. Because mm-hmm. as he is like, oh, you know, blah, blah. And he's like putting a ladder down all soft. Mm-hmm. And she pole vaults over him. Mm-hmm. In this, she holds back and like she d- does not have that moment. And I was worried that that was what yeah. was going to track throughout the movie. Nah, she gets it later. But she definitely gets it, again, through speechless, through mm-hmm. all of these things. So I, I'm glad that that, it was not even redeemed. It was mm-hmm. in my own head. I was just like, right. I was waiting for that to come full circle, and it did. That was good. When you bring up the Sultan, mm-hmm. this was my biggest issue with this movie. You hate the Sultan? No. You are surrounded by brown folks of all different, like they're literally mm-hmm. from... 
all over the place in this city of Agrabah. Everybody that they interact with has an accent except for the four main characters. That offends me. What? what come like, on, Aladdin, you gotta, I need you to pull, I need you to Jafar, pull back. Like, why now? Why would you say? Why would it be? If you're taking off, put on your producer hat. Sure. Why is it these four characters don't have an accent? It literally does not make any sense. I'm asking you, if you're producing this film, uh-huh. why would why would these four characters not have an accent? What do they Actually, all have? I will just say three: Aladdin, Jasmine, Jafar, Genie. Is a different w- thing. What do but. they all have in common? What do these four characters all have in common? The these four th- actors you're bringing in. What do they all have in common? That they are not from those places. No. <laughs> What? They have the major speaking roles in this film. But it does not it matter. Do, if you're cuz you're looking for someone who can act. Okay. <laughs> first. Uh-huh. So get them a dialogue coach. Like Sorry. it just it is one of those things where That's, would, this <laughs> that is be, that is crazy. It is just really hard for me because like you again like much like much like Will Smith you're making choices, right? So the, cho- the choice the choice we're making is we've got Naomi Scott, we've got these people and they're all going to act in this film. We've we've cast, we've probably cast a big net to find people who can do these scenes to be able to sing, to be able to dance, to, be able to do all the physicality mm-hmm. and have on-screen chemistry mm-hmm. and work together. Mm-hmm. And, Dis- yeah. and Disney has the money to hire dialogue coaches. But again, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. A terrible one. This is a choice we're making. Now, if we can, now if you don't have an accent, that's fine. Plenty of films do it. If it's a good enough film, people don't care. If it's good enough, people won't care. I haven't. I didn't even notice because I didn't oh, care if they didn't have an accent. It just about it, this would be like having a movie about the royal family in England. Yeah, and Prince Harry does not have an accent. That's not the same. It totally That's is. The, How do you grow up in a place yeah. where you are a royal family? Yeah. You are surrounded by people with an accent, and you do not have one. In the context of the movie, I understand the acting and everything. It just. But if you focus, think about it, you're focusing on an accent. And you're making it the most important thing in this person's character, and it's really not. It's not the most important thing they have. Not to the do. most important. It's but not really important. Not it's not do really it. important. The only word that the three of them say that with any accent is "agraba." The, the question, like, how does that? How do you the, the question give that would, a flourish? The question I would ask you is, why do you care? Like sincerely, because it, it truly bothers me that again we talk about representation, we talk yeah. about diversity, right? Put people in. They they did a better job okay. of getting some brown folks in this movie great yeah. still a lot of colorism because they were all very light okay but if you were doing that take it one step further give it so that not just people can see the way that they look when they're watching the movie but they can hear it uh with so you want Ro- you want you want a nondescript middle eastern actor diego luna from rogue one okay. there were so many people who were like holy crap a Mexican actor who has a Mexican accent in the future of Star Wars sounds like me, looks like me. That's that is important. Way, yes, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's way different. It it's is, different. but the fact that <clears throat> these things can happen, I just I would have liked to see it. I understand from your side of things, from the producer side of things. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're making a film. I just, I really would have liked that that they just go out extra. So level. You, you take an accent for a worse actor. No, I would take these, well, maybe not these. Actually, yeah, all the actors in this are, are good. I had problems with a lot of it, but the actors themselves are good. Hire a dialogue coach. You are Disney. You have all the money in the world. But then you, then you end up with three different actors. Nope, who, who and aren't, with, with who, one dialogue who, coach. You end up, hear what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You end up with three different actors who that's not their natural accent. Right. With all three different accents. 
not if you have the same. You can get people to have the same or similar accents right. when you have a good dialogue. But then coach. it would be like, why do these accents sound differently? Because everybody's tone sounds different. Right. But it just like but you see, you see the problem you're running into. So you just don't do it. That's the problem you're going to run into. <sighs> is like an accent because I'm spending time with an act with the dialogue coach, where I'm also learning. I'm singing. Mm-hmm. I'm dancing. Uh-huh. I'm a car. That's that is a lot. I when have, you can say, I mean, I'd rather not do the accent coach. True. In high school theater, right. we had to learn to sing, dance, and do accents. Yeah, but no one was watching your film and critiquing it. Says you. How dare you? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's a choice that Disney's going to have to make. And it just, that's just, right? Yeah. It's just a choice to have Will Smith and know he can't sing. And like knowing he, That's fine, and but he, that's the choice you made. He goes to sing like three different times. But you, the choice was getting Will Smith the genie. Yeah. Who's the biggest name in this film? Up, up. Easily, hundred percent. This, this is this is the choice you're making. Uh, the, I think the second closest would be Alan Tudyk as Iago, mm-hmm. and Iago, like the animal characters who had some real, not necessarily character development in the original. They well, did. Iago no, they did. did. Iago did. Uh, Rasha did not. No. But in this film, Iago is just wasted. Like, yeah, they really, they did waste Iago a lot. I thought for sure. I thought that was because he was the funniest part of the of the original land. He was yeah. really hilarious. And people were well, was kind of. Maybe not disrespectful, but they were like, how can Will Smith be the genie? He'll always be Robin Williams, blah, blah. Nobody was saying anything about Iago. Nobody was like, nobody can be Gilbert Godfrey. They were like, no. Alan Tudyk, sure, you're a great voice actor and yeah. great actor. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I thought they'd do. But yeah, they, they wasted. They wasted Iago. That opportunity. He's, he's really funny. Um, the music in this was was a lot of just flat, bland. Choreography was good. The chemistry between Aladdin and Jasmine was actually pretty decent in some yeah. parts. It was really forced in other parts, but I get it. It, yeah. It, this it's is a, a teen movie, essentially. Yeah, it's a kids movie. Um, the biggest waste of a character, though, Billy Magnuson. Billy Magnuson, who played Prince Anders. You want a minute more? That dude is hilarious. He was, was great in Game Night. Right, and not only is Billy Magnuson funny in general, his character is really funny. Yeah. And we get like two minutes, and it was like, man. Yeah, you can't bring, bring him back. Where, where, where would you bring him back? At the end? I know, but it was just like, that was just weird to have a very recognizable actor yeah. giving this funny performance. It's good, though. You get a skilled guy to come in here and sort of like give these really good comedic beats in yeah. the film and then get in, get in, get out. Like, I appreciate the fact they brought in someone who's skilled, who you recognize, and be like, oh, he's funny. Yeah. So he was really funny. I really wished that somebody, and it was. I thought Jafar was going to do it when he was in the desert, when he was first kind of telling mm-hmm. Aladdin about everything. I wanted him to pronounce Aladdin the way that it should have been pronounced, like the actual Arabic pronunciation, just once. Why Why do you? You're really hung up on the weirdest things for this film. Because it was just like... <laughs> They're not going to do that. I know. But it was... That, that, that <laughs> why would, would they do that? Nice. That would have been nice. <sighs> uh, but yeah, I think that kind of... Yeah, that kind of wraps it up for, for Aladdin. Uh... This movie after, what was the previous live action one? We had Beauty and the Beast. We had this. Uh, Maleficent technically counts. Beauty and the Beast was the last one. Um, no, no, yeah. Jungle Book was there. Jungle Book, yeah. I, I mean, yes, it was, it was one boy. So it was, it was, live, live, it was live action. Live action? Uh, this, this shows that, oh, Dumbo, duh. Yeah, I didn't watch Dumbo. Oh, Dumbo was rough. And so was this. Beauty and the Beast was not great. And I'm like, these live action ones, they just are really tough. And this is the closest. Kids love them. And I think the difference, yes, the difference with this one, this is line for line, 
beat for beat for like 90% of it. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Because even in Beauty and the Beast, it felt different. Yeah. So Dumbo, the retelling of the story. Yeah. Dumbo felt different even though it was terrible. This one, it was just, it was beat for beat. And so, yeah, that was just weird. Uh, okay. So, uh, for Aladdin, what do you give it? I give it a good, man. It was, I had fun watching it. It did start slow. Some of the songs were flat, but... Once we got into the cave and it became sort of Aladdin and his story and Jasmine, I thought it was fun. I had like a lot of fun watching it. Okay. Uh, I give it a bad. Mm, of course. Um, of course. Because you hate kids. <laughs> the choreography was incredible. The costuming was incredible. Uh, the singing, there were a couple songs that were good, but the rest were just rough. Speechless was definitely the high point. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which was kind of weird because it was the most forced of all of them, and it was because it was the original song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was a bad. Okay. I, I just I had a, a lot of problems with this movie. Uh, okay, moving on to *Brightburn*, which you have not had a chance I to see. I did not. Okay, have any desire to watch this film. <laughs> so this is basically the Superman Red Sun storyline, like a nature versus nurture thing, where an alien drops down on the planet. Mm-hmm. And good-natured people take him in, but his true nature comes out, and he becomes a monster. Mm, good. Essentially. Like, that. that is... It, the Superman Red Sun storyline is great, because yeah. it takes Superman, and he crashes in Moscow, and mm-hmm. you have a Russian Batman, which is hilarious. It takes those ideas and does nothing with them. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a horror film from, like, the old school, like, trauma Guys, James Gunn and his brothers, who all came from trauma filmmaking, it is unnecessarily grotesque and violent, mm-hmm. but it comes from trauma. Like, I I get where it comes from. I just still did not think it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Some of the graphic violence we see. The kid in this, uh, what is his name? Jackson Dunn, who plays Brandon Breyer, is completely wooden. Like nothing feels on purpose. Like he's no. like a like a Superman type of like I don't I'm not really human. Is it, nope. is it meant to be conveyed that he's an alien and he's not like everybody nope. else? The, he does not even. It would be one thing if they had set that up or like the parents told him early, you know, like just like they did with Clark. Like, hey, <laughs> you need to pretend to fit in. You need to pretend to do. No, this. no, I didn't mean that. I meant like, is his performance? meant to be that he is an alien even if he doesn't know it like he doesn't know why he behaves why he's so wooden i do not think this movie is smart enough for that i can see where you're coming from but i just i think it really comes down to the choices acting is all about choices and this one it just his performance like everybody around him was kind of giving more and i never really felt compare compelled to care about him Mm -hmm. at all and when we were supposed to in the beginning, and we were supposed to, we have these moments where the parents do find out that he is kind of going crazy, and he may or may not have killed some people. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert: He does. You see it in the trailer. Yeah. So, um, that's when he kills a woman in the diner. Right. Uh, oh, and there is a scene where she has glass in her eye, mm-hmm. like her eyeball. Nope, too much. Mm-hmm. Like it is just, it is crazy. But the, my biggest problem with this movie, it does not explain anything. And the easiest things to explain would take two minutes. And I talked about this with some of the critics after when we saw this. When you say, when you say anything, like, what, what aren't they where, where he came from, which, again, not all, they, does not have to come from Krypton. Does not have, that does not matter. 
why he is doing what he is doing. We start hearing him kind of essentially around the age of puberty, getting these messages in his head where, you know, he needs to go somewhere and figure something out. But we never understand why. We get this translation that says, take the world. But it never says, like, take the world through force. It never says, take the world and lead it into a positive direction. Mm-hmm. All of these things could be explained by two minutes. Mm-hmm. And that is my problem. Is not that they were not explained, but that they were they would be easy to explain in the context of the movie. Of when he does finally kind of get the ship. Or not get the ship, but when he sees the ship. Just like the Superman mm-hmm. mythos. Have a little holographic display. Have something to explain it. It would take two minutes. Mm-hmm. We never get that. Mm-hmm. And it just does not make sense. Okay. So. Not enough exposition. As not enough on. exposition. And again, easy exposition. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for, you know, a giant floating father figure. Marlon Brando being like, my son, yeah. you must go. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. A display on your computer mm-hmm. being like, take the world. Our world was destroyed. Blah, blah, blah. Something. Nothing. So that was kind of weird. Elizabeth Banks uh, is in this. David Denman as well. A bunch of other kids. The kills in this. I know you're a big horror fan and you like a good kill. I love a great kill. There were a lot of them in this movie. And some of them, to me, were just unnecessarily graphic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for, for no reason. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, in general, I just did not really feel anything about this movie uh it ends like this kind of like weird mid-credits scene or just almost trying to set up its own universe Mm -hmm. just stop stop you and i have seen that time and time again we're just like not everything has to be (laughs) a multi-movie thing just make a good movie yeah so yeah it was just kind of weird uh so i give brightburn directed by david yaravesky Written by Brian and Mark Gunn, and then produced by James Gunn. Mm, I actually kind of give it an ugly. I initially wrote down bad, mm-hmm. but there, this is not a movie that I can recommend to anybody because it right. just just read Superman Red Sun. Okay, like that. That is it. So it's a much better story. <laughs> much better. Uh, and now on to the next movie, a okay. Netflix original. Yes, movie. Sir. Tell us about The Perfection. Oh, oh, oh The Perfection. <laughs> a horror movie that actually uh, does explain things. Uh, horror thriller-ish. This is a horror movie. It's horror. At the end, it's definitely a horror film. Yeah. Um. Yes. Starring Logan Browning, who mm-hmm. we know and love, uh, <laughs> and Allison Williams from Get Out. Mm-hmm. And Allison is a former student um, playing the cello. Mm-hmm. The playing cello? Yeah. Yes. Real quick on this before we go further into the explanation. Yeah. Similar to accents, uh, because of my just musical background or whatever, playing instruments, I have a real hard time watching movies where people are playing an instrument and not playing it at all and not even it does not even look good. Neither of them in this movie playing cello. You gotta, you gotta make just, it look. You gotta enjoy like, the films, man. You gotta, you gotta turn that off and just enjoy them. Uh, anyway, fun. proceed. So, she's a, she. So Logan is the new cellist, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're in like Korea or somewhere for or Japan, China, China. They're in China um, uh, for some big thing, and Allison Williams' character shows up, and she's 
sort of befriends Logan, and they go on like this this tour thing, and something Logan gets sick, and there's something mm-hmm. bad is happening, and and it's this sort of a deeper plot as to what is going on between the two of them, and sort of this cellist. Because they music school there. Yeah, they of. they both come from this very prestigious, prestigious, like very mysterious. Yeah, like northeastern North New York. Yeah, Connecticut music area. school that is all young girls, all young girls, and three dudes, yeah. three old older, three older men. men who run the school. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of crazy stuff happening, and then you know, but it's a lot of what I appreciate about the film is first of all the two performances are great. I think they're really good. They have really good chemistry together, mm-hmm. and then. As we see something happen, the the story within the sort of rewind and show you sort of another perspective as yeah. to actually what's like actually that. happening, which I liked a lot. And they do it twice in this film, and it's it's great. That took me by surprise, also because I was like, oh yeah, this is smart. Yeah, when you see a thing and then it rewinds, yeah, I was thinking that like there might be like a branching path thing, no. but really it just it goes to explain yeah. what just happened. Yeah, here's some things you didn't see that were happening at the time, so they yeah. sort of explain. <clears throat> the relationship between the two girls, the two women, and then mm-hmm. sort of what's been happening to them, and then it has like a bonkers kind of th- final third act where it gets kind of crazy. Yeah, similar to Brightburn, when this gets graphic, uh, yeah, it gets really graphic. Yeah, um, disturbingly yeah. graphic. Yeah, it does. Uh, but it shows you that you can have disturbingly graphic things. In a movie, like if it, it made sense why it was happening at the time. Exactly, it all made sense. Like, oh, I get why people are fighting for their lives. Except for like the the very end thing. Yeah, that was just a creepy way to end it. <laughs> that was something that I was like, oh, now you're just you just want to creep everybody out. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Uh, but yeah, but, both performances yeah. were great. Allison Williams is coming into her horror game. She's good, strong. <laughs> she was really good. Yeah, and very convincing, and like can kind of play this very like coy i don't know what's going on i'm mm-hmm. just here for a good time and it can be very like vengeful and evil yeah yeah it's great that that was impressive uh logan was good she's good she's good in everything i keep telling people this of course you i do. was early logan hive man I'm oh oh we know early i'm go early back, i'm really on board listen to like episode four yeah i'm early on board i've been telling people man i'm on board early she's she's gonna um but i like i mean all jokes aside i think she her ability to be um, a lead in a way where she's convincing, even mm-hmm. though she maybe not really necessarily playing an instrument, and convincing as yeah. convincing as like a, a student, and even when she's upset, like convincing that she's upset about something, and then when she sort of has some vengeance, like all that's all it's all very convincing, which I imagine is not the easiest thing to do, like yeah. on a shoot like this. Yeah. Uh, even when she gets sick. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. that was rough. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the perfection is on Netflix uh, right now. Netflix exclusive. Uh, your official rating? Uh, it's good. It's crazy, mm-hmm. but it's good. It definitely. It's kind of what I think people expect when they look for like a Netflix exclusive. This isn't something that would necessarily play in a the theater, but it's something that's entertaining. But still high quality. High quality. Good chemistry. Yeah. Good actors. Mm-hmm. Good story. Yeah, yeah. Be- being a Netflix exclusive does not mean it is a sci-fi channel yeah. and i think people really need to get over that yeah uh, but yeah i give this a good as well i really had no idea what to expect i went into this not watching a trailer because i saw you had been talking about it for a while because mm-hmm. you watched like the minute it dropped on I netflix did. i watched that night uh, <laughs> and then some people on twitter were like do not watch a trailer and so i was like cool yeah it is netflix i can turn it on right now yeah but even the trailer is a little 
deceptive because they don't really give much away. I still have not seen it. Yeah. So you watch it, and if you watch it, you'll be like, oh, they didn't really give it. Oh, okay, away. nice. But yeah, so I give it a good as well. The perfection. Uh, next, uh, <laughs> short movie that I just I had a lot of fun with because I have had some time to watch some stuff recently. Mm-hmm. Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, new animated film from DC uh, Universe or DC Animated mm-hmm. Division. Uh, this is directed by uh, Jake Castarena, Castarena, and he has been involved with the DC animated films for years. Mm-hmm. He directed Death of Superman. He was on the art department for a ton of those new ones mm-hmm. that have been really good. So similar to how we were talking about not really having faith in DC, every new DC animated movie that gets announced, mm-hmm. gets announced, I'm on board for. Yeah. All of them have been solid. Like, the most recent one before this was uh, Justice League and the Fatal Five. Yeah. Which was not fantastic, but it was still really good. Yeah, it's good. So with this one, this Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is based off of the 2016 comic book crossover that they did. They have actually done two of them, and a third one is on the way. So we see the Ninja Turtles that we know and love. They end up in Gotham, and they're interacting with... Batman in hilarious ways. Yeah, they're following Shredder. Well, yeah, yeah, they followed Shredder because they found they Shredder has a new partner. Yeah, a new mysterious partner that you know is going to make him even more powerful. Yeah. Whatever. From the shadows, we see Rachel Ghoul, right? Which is Batman's you know longtime villain, and so Shredder and Rache actually have a lot of similarities. Right. They're both the heads of these clandestine ninja mm-hmm. organizations. The, the way that they talk to each other is really fun. Is hilarious. When they go to Arkham, it's hilarious. The, <laughs> and so you, you see Shredder and Raish team up together yeah. to take down Batman because even though Shredder has no idea who Batman is, mm-hmm. he's just in Gotham to meet with Raish and to get the MacGuffin, yeah. you know, to make this trade. He then, you know, starts to realize these things. Great interactions. Batman and Shredder fight more than once. Yeah. Fantastic. But also, the relationship between the, the Turtles and Batman is they think Batman is the, the guy, the mysterious, the, the mysterious partner, partner that, mm-hmm. that Shredder's meeting with. So their initial interactions are not positive. No, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of fights. Batman gives them a yeah. little work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fights with, with the Turtles, but then they, they realize that they can sort of work together. So the two work together. And then there's mm-hmm. a Robin. Yeah, Robin, Batgirl is Batgirl in this. Shows up, so it's a little bit of the Bat family. In mm-hmm. there. They're all taking on Shredder, Raja Ghul, and all their goons, the Foot Clan, and those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just I had so much fun. Yeah. With Batman's this. familiar with the Foot. Like it's really funny. That yeah, that was interesting because he the first time he fights Shredder, or no, he actually sees footage of the Foot Clan first, and he immediately analyzes it. And he was like, "Oh, it's from an ancient form of ninjutsu that mm-hmm. nobody has practiced for this long and this long." Mm-hmm. And then he fights Shredder. And they just go toe-to-toe like, this is just a fun yeah, animated fun. movie. If you are looking for a Batman thing, just kind of sate you, mm-hmm. definitely check this out. It's fun. It's a, it's, a, it's a really brilliant way through some of the dialogue and action to like mix up Ninja Turtles and Batman. Mm-hmm. It was really smart. And in, in the comic book, they came from an alternate universe and Krang kind yeah. of transported them there. This one... They basically like New York and Gotham mm-hmm. exist in yeah. the same world, 
and they just that is it like there's not this exposition needed <laughs> they're just like they, they joke oh. about gotham always having like blimps flying around right yeah. <laughs> My, michelangelo is the deadpool like yeah. breaking the fourth wall style character and he was yeah. like they just have blimps flying around and it goes when it shows the blimps it gives us some musical hints of like batman the animated yeah. series that's really funny <laughs> just like that was yeah. great uh the animation is just super smooth yeah ace chemical shows up like all yeah. these spots in gotham that we know of some familiar faces are in there when they're in gotham Goth- and they're in arkham it's mm-hmm. great yeah uh troy baker does the voice of batman and mm. he has done it for a couple of the video games yeah. a couple of the animated movies him and kevin like troy baker is doing his best kevin conroy yeah. and it is really it's good really good uh a good enough where i don't have a problem with it and i have a problem with accents uh, <laughs> yeah, you have a problem with accents. He's fine. Troy Baker is great. Yeah, Troy Baker is awesome. So yeah, Batman versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I give it a good. It is on like 4K and Blu-ray. I don't think they have announced streaming yet, mm-hmm. but it probably will end yeah, up streaming. I imagine it's going to be streaming pretty soon. But yeah, I absolutely gave it a good. It's good. It's a lot of fun. A lot of really silly turtle stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of very serious Batman stuff. And seeing these two worlds collide is hilarious. Yeah, the juxtaposition between yeah. <laughs> the turtles... Cause, and even Batman, as he is looking at it, and he was like, but they're turtles, and they're ninjas. And then Alfred is like, oh, teenagers. Yeah. They're like, teenage, like, yeah. it all plays out well. Okay. So, yeah. Lots of pizza, too. <laughs> yes. I was waiting for one of them to be like, for like the first time Mikey takes a bite of, bite of pizza, to be like, oh, this pizza is garbage. You know, like nothing like New York or yeah, something. Yeah. None of that. It was no. just pizza. They love pizza. Uh, so, yeah. Two goods for Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, next a movie that I did not see. Oh, what did you see? Ma. Ma. Tavis Smith are harassing teenage kids for uh-huh. ninety minutes. D- tell me <laughs> if this was as dumb as it looked. It is. What you thought looked dumb? I thought it. Just what do you looked... think it is? Like I want to hear what you think the movie is. So, it definitely felt like Octavia Spencer in the trailers and everything was like, "Oh, you can party at my house, okay. youths," okay. but. Do not go upstairs. You have to call me Ma. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure she has been doing this for a while. At some point, there's going to be a closet full of like bones or bodies or something that she has been luring teenagers to their doom for no. a while. Not even close. Really? No. Okay. No. It is about... Uh, she is a witch s- who was a teenager who then became old. <laughs> no. Her name is Sue Ann. She lives in a small town in Ohio. It's the character whose point of view we're seeing is this young girl named Maggie. Mm-hmm. And her mom moved from San Diego to this whatever town in Ohio. She's making new friends. The friends are trying to have a party that gets at one some girl's house that gets canceled. So they decide to like ride around to the, this place. Like or like, like they call the rocks. Like a bunch of rock, old buildings. Like okay. rocks, right? Just a bunch of like cement boulders and stuff and rocks and so they want someone to get alcohol. They're trying to get adults to buy alcohol. Mm-hmm. They get Ma to buy alcohol for them. Um, and then they get busted. Mm. So then Ma is like, well, you can come party at my house. Uh, but gotcha. Ma has some different motives. She has some history with people in the town. And Oh, right, right, right. Okay, one of the trailers starts... <laughs> obsessing over these children in a way that's not healthy and then and because the kids are like the sons and daughters of the people that she went to school with yes okay so they do some flashbacks to like of course getting bullied or something sue ann's time in high school and like this this thing that happened to her they do digital de-aging of octavia spencer no no just hold the cast (laughs) um so they do this thing and where you you know you 
kind of figure out why she's behaving this way. And the kids start to sort of pull back from her because she's like Crazy. on their on their social medias. Right. Don't make me drink alone. Trying to get them to party. And they're like, yo, we got school tonight. We got school tomorrow. I can't be at your house partying all night and drinking. Um, and so as they try try to pull away, she gets a little more aggressive. And it's, you know, it turns into absolute crazy last 20 minutes of the film and also she's hiding something upstairs that we find out what that is what is hiding you'll have to tell me after because i I probably am not gonna see this um was this similar to and i had to look it up chloe chloe grace moretz had that movie greta no recently totally different totally different okay interesting no no but yeah but fun but i mean it's it's a crazy film it's her harassing kids And for essentially for 90 minutes, it's it's from the first moment she's kind of on screen, Octavia Spencer, she gets to be sort of this crazy, unchanged person. Allison Janney's in this briefly as mm. like her boss at this veterinary veterinary clinic. Um, what's his face? Plays one of the dads. Why am I supposed to his name? He played, he played Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. What's his name? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke Evans. Luke Evans is in it. So you've got some some high caliber actors in it, but it's okay. essentially, you know, it and it all comes down to the last twenty minutes where it's sort of like this bonkers, crazy ending where you get to see Ma like full on nuts. Oh, okay. and it's great. It's it's worth it. It's ninety minutes. It's short. It's really funny. It's her sort of like taking on these like little privileged kids in this town. Okay. Yeah. Uh, would this be something that you think is? Would it have been? better served on like a netflix or streaming or is this a theater style movie enough like like perfection like what type of level would you say this is um, i mean it's definitely high quality but it's definitely again some of the sort of the lo-fi horror stuff so probably streaming gotcha. it's not you know there's no reason for you to see it in a theater unless you just love watching people on a big screen but you can you can take in everything that happens in this film on a small screen gotcha. and be fine okay. the story is what's really interesting and it's sort of the sort of crazy ending of the film is what sort of will grip people because you end up you know it ends like it's this crazy ending and then it's over and so you kind of hmm. people will leave with like that was crazy because that's the last kind of moments you have in the film. Okay, uh, your official rating. It's a good, it's, and, and I love Octavia Spencer getting a chance to sort of be this person and sort of I can't think of the last time I saw her in a lead role because this is hmm. her movie. I mean, it was, yeah. it was told through Maggie's point of view, but it's it's legitimately Octavia Spencer's movie. She, like, owns the film. Okay. Nice. So, good for Ma. The reason I did not see Ma is they scheduled two screenings on the same night. They did. So, Tim went to Ma. I went to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, mm-hmm. the follow-up sequel to the 2014 Godzilla movie. Yes. This version is directed by Michael Doherty, and a lot of the cast is back. From the first one. Okay. So. Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe is great in this. Uh, Zhang Ziyi mm-hmm. is great in this. Another actress who I'm like, man, like, put her in more stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I, she is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle Chandler, Vera Formiga, and then Millie Bobby Brown, uh, who was not in the first one, but she, her character was the daughter of these two scientists of Kyle Chandler and Vera Formiga, Mark Russell and Dr. Emma Russell. So this picks up, the world knows about Godzilla. Like, this is not just something where it was just in San Francisco, he fought this monster, and then they covered it up. Everybody in the world was like, oh, yeah, this giant monster actually exists. What else could exist? Mm -hmm. And then you get into, like, 
the shadowy organization of Monarch, mm-hmm. and they know of all the creatures that exist, but the public still does not know how many there are or how many there could be. So through the MacGuffin of the movie, uh, we get a lot of these creatures being woken up and being summoned to a place to do a thing. And if that sounds like I'm not really explaining it well, it is because this movie does not explain it well. How they get summoned? Vera Formiga creates this MacGuffin that essentially is like a SO, not an SOS, a translator. Mm-hmm. She has this just box. Like a frequency thing? Yes. Where she is able to like, she just moves her fingers on this thing with no rhyme or reason, finds a frequency that these kaiju communicate on, and is able to calm them down or make them angry. Mm-hmm. Why? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, I, she does go into why, which I mean, I, I cannot say because it would be a spoiler. But her reasoning for this is trash. The humans in this are trash. All of them who are near these monsters are going to die of radiation just from being around them. They constantly talk about like how Godzilla is kind of this radiation battery, mm-hmm. essentially. And yet they are 50 feet away from him, 100 feet away from him. It was like, no, your skin is going to melt off your bones. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was one of those things where I went into this wanting Godzilla fighting monsters. Mm-hmm. And we get that. We get Godzilla fighting monsters. We get other monsters fighting other monsters. Uh, King Ghidorah is in this, who is one of my all-time favorite Godzilla villains. Like King Ghidorah. So great. We have Mothra, Rodan, a bunch of these... Who named them? Titans. I mean, th- that was all Toho. Like, no, but who named them in this movie? Oh, um, you see it on a screen as they are... Because all of them are like uh, Titanus something. Like, they give them Latin names, yeah. but Titanus is the first part. Um, and then Ken Watanabe's character and Zhang Ziyi each kind of be like, oh, we called them this, or we oh. called them that. And I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was similar to the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, mm-hmm. where you see something from like the Japanese fishing boat or whatever, and it was Gojira. And then the Americans just start calling him Godzilla. And they're like, all right, cool. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Uh, this movie is real dumb. Mm-hmm. And a like lot it. of the Godzilla movies are real dumb, but they're entertaining because you know what you're getting into. Right. Godzilla smashing into things. But at least if you're going to have human characters in this, make them interesting, make them compelling, make them do something. Mm-hmm. All of the char- the human characters in this are just unnecessary almost. Mm-hmm. Like just give us a movie of monsters fighting. Like you did in the old Japanese ones, and then you get some Japanese people in a bunker somewhere, like, talking about it. Yeah. That was it. Instead, we get this huge MacGuffin of Vera wants to control them for her own reasons, but then when things do not go the way that she wants, she was like, oh, no. But it is still happening, and she still does not really feel bad and gets this redemption arc that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I w- This movie is just frustrating. Good. 
Sounds like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, people have complained about sort of the human elements and how it's kind of like a waste. And also, like, some of the fighting is, like, it's either dark or it's cloudy. This The fighting actually was so much better than the 2014 version. Mm-hmm. The 2014 version, Godzilla is in it for eight minutes. Yeah, they, like, cut away a lot. Cut away all the time. This one, you straight out see monsters fighting each other. Mm-hmm. More than once, you can see it. Yes, it is. a lot of it is rain, but they kind of played off where Ghidorah... Kind of con- he, wherever he goes or it goes, um, a storm follows. So it was like, okay, that was clever. Uh, they also mention, and this is not a spoiler to anybody who has watched any of the old Godzilla movies, that Ghidorah is an alien. Mm-hmm. So in this movie, they find out that Titans exist. They mention King Kong a bunch because mm-hmm. eventually we're going to get King Island. Kong. Eventually, next year. Yeah. Well, yeah. Soon. King <laughs> Kong versus Godzilla. So they know these Titans exist. Then they find out that Ghidorah is from outer space, and nobody questions it. Wow. N- like, not one thing is that, like, okay, not only do these monsters exist on this planet, life on other worlds was just confirmed. How is this not a big deal to anybody? Yeah, how, like, is nobody, how is everybody like, oh, okay. Like, it just goes unchecked and untalked about. It was like, aliens mm-hmm. exist. Like, life on other these kind of aliens. And nobody bats an eye. Yeah. That blows my mind. Um, a lot of this is set up for the inevitable King Kong versus yeah. Godzilla. People uh, always wonder where was Kong during this whole thing. Well, he was on Skull Island, and they do men- they they mention enough for it to make sense in the world of this movie why he was not there when all the other ones were. Why wasn't he there? They talk about it in the context of the movie. It would be a little bit of a of a spoiler, okay. but. Um, the other creatures that we see, we see other titans and everything, and then they just kind of disappear after smashing some cities for, for no reason. Wow. How many how many different titans? Uh, 17. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That we get to see maybe like eight mm-hmm. or nine. So it was just, this was a mess of a movie. The soundtrack was all over the place. Uh... That was kind of bizarre. I'm trying to think what else I wrote down. All the humans have just like the cringiest, cheesiest yeah, dialogue. Yeah, people have been complaining about some of the dialogue. They're like, this dialogue is not. And again, if you, if you hold this up to a precedent of the Japanese ones, the human dialogue was never Shakespearean. It was never winning awards. But at least it kind of sort of made sense. Yeah, this seems like it's... It just... It was, it was yeah, rough. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, there is... A fantastic Mothra Easter egg mm-hmm. that I, I it is not it is not a big spoiler. I will talk about it. But Zhang Ziyi's character who talks about Mothra and she kind of has studied Mothra the most mm-hmm. puts up this picture of her grand I think of either her mother or her grandmother who if you remember the Mothra always had those like th- like worshippers yeah those three women it was them. That was super cool. Like, that was just one of those things. It was, like, a total throwaway thing mm-hmm. where Zhang Ziyi comes from a family of twins and triplets. And they have a twin? Not in the movie, but you see a picture of her. Yeah. That was cool. Like, for a God- old-school Godzilla fan who remembers that, mm-hmm. that was nice. Uh, there is interesting color dynamics with each of the monsters. Like, Godzilla is blue. Uh, Rodan is kind of a reddish. Ghidorah is yellow. Mothra is all blue. Colors of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. So we also kind of get 
relationships between the monsters. Um, like we are supposed to believe that these are mates, kind of. Like, okay. yeah, not sure how that no. works, but yeah, th- this movie is just a mess, though. Um, I cannot give it an ugly because there are parts of it that I definitely enjoyed seeing these monsters together, but this is a bad Is it film. worth seeing in the theater? Only because it is a th- uh, better to see in the theater. I think watching it at home, like, yes, most people have nice big TVs now. Seeing it in the theater, the sound... Mm, paying the sound, money to see it in the theater. Matinee. You know, because the sound design is, is pretty solid. Okay. So, uh, and then the last movie is Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Uh, and we both saw this. We did. We did see this movie. So we saw this just a couple days ago. So this is directed by Dexter Fletcher, mm-hmm. the one who was brought in to save Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. essentially, after Brian Singer was fired. Uh, this is the version that Dexter Fletcher, this is not the version. This shows what Dexter Fletcher can do with a musical biopic. Mm-hmm. This is well structured. This is well paced. This is well shot. What he was given with Bohemian Rhapsody, that was just unfortunate because they were like, hey, we still have to put this movie together. Can you help us? This he is, was finishing the movie. Yeah, he was finishing the movie. This movie, Rocket Man, starring Taron Egerton, is his movie. Mm-hmm. And that shows solid vision throughout. What I loved about this movie, this is not a musical biopic. No. This is a musical. Yeah. Like a flat out musical. It starts that way. It ends that way. That takes some balls. Yeah. Like that was that was impressive. But they do enough of telling Elton's story. Yes. You, you, you're following his story. Yeah. But it doesn't like end with like current Elton John. It's just like here's here's some, some iconic life yeah, yeah here's some moments in his life and we're mm-hmm. gonna end with this i was surprised where they ended it but it made sense like i was a little bit too in the context I mean, of the story I'm like, yeah okay this makes sense that it would end with this because this is what this song meant to him got it yeah and i elton john is one of those musicians where we know a lot of his songs just from pop culture and everything right. i did not know a lot of his life Really? Uh, like early life, like his early like rock and roll stuff, like when oh. he was backup band, like some of these like soul singers yeah. and everything. Like I had no idea about that. Um, so that was really interesting. Once it, once he became Elton John and everything right. like that, I remember more of. Uh, Taron Egerton shows <laughs> again. I, I it is unfair to keep comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody. No, it's not. Okay, then I will keep comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody. He, Rami Malek was not allowed to sing mm-hmm. in Bohemian Rhapsody. Every time he went to sing, that stark contrast of Freddie Mercury's voice was jarring. Taron Egerton sings his ass off. Yeah, he gets to sing. And he's, you know, you can listen to the soundtrack to hear some of the songs he's singing. Like, he is but he's so good. Here's the thing. He's mm-hmm. not even just singing in this film. He's dancing. Yeah. And, he's, and, and the way, what I appreciated about some of these sequences, like I was explaining to someone the other day, so the the Rocket Man sequence mm-hmm. where it goes from this party he's having in his house to him sort of spiraling out of control to he gets in the pool, then they do this whole Rocket Man and it's him and his younger self and then mm-hmm. but when he gets out of the pool, it feels very much like a stage play, like a ballet, yeah. these people dancing around, there's an ambulance and then there's there's a gurney and but meanwhile they're still singing and dancing and there's a performance and then that bleeds into him performing on stage at Dodger Stadium at a piano. 
Like, mm-hmm. th- and it's all very dreamlike. Even when he first performs in 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 L.A. and he's doing that song, like and mm-hmm. like towards the bridge, like people start floating and he's floating, and it's sort of like the representation of how he's feeling at the time and the sort of the star moment. And then it all sort of comes crashing down, and he's back on the piano like that. They did this stuff throughout the whole film, which I thought was a really brilliant way of showing a musical performance and keeping each one very fresh and new and and, mm-hmm. and feeling very dreamy. And it and it sort of moves along, and they didn't do any timestamps. It was never like 1983, which I liked. I think I might have, as somebody who does not know exactly when all that was, yeah. a little bit of that. Might have been nice, but it was not necessary. It wasn't important to the story. Yeah, it was. It was not important. I just, yeah. for me, it maybe just might have helped with context. But I can also look yeah. it up. Like yeah. I can look up when did he perform? You know, yeah. this and this. Yeah. When was he? Uh, when was he doing this? When did he get his new manager? When did he first perform in L.A.? Like, yeah. It's all. But I like that it wasn't like putting you anywhere. And also, they did this great thing when he would be on these drug binges that it would just like <laughs> plop him in the middle yeah. of somewhere. He didn't know what was going on, and he'd say, "I don't know where. Where am I?" Like he mm-hmm. would. I'll say in my review is very is very reminiscent of the way Nolan did in Memento, where he would just like yep. put him somewhere, and he's like, I don't remember where I'm and at. And then he is reacting yeah. to his situation yeah. the same way that we are. We we're like, wait, how did he yeah. end up there? Why is he there? Yeah, and it, was, it was a good way to sort of showcase the fact that he was like binging on drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. in a way that made him. He was still a great performer, See, but like, I had really impacted. His I had life. no idea that I knew that he had some substance abuse problems. Uh, Elton John has been clean and sober for 28 years, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Watching this movie, I'm like, oof. Yeah, he was partying. A lot of people <laughs> did, though. I mean, some people didn't survive that. But he, well, you know, yeah, that is true. Um, he did. And the other thing that it touches on in a so much more respectful way is his dalliances with men and mm-hmm. his entry into that because he grew up never really being allowed to think about things like that. And then starts going to these parties, starts seeing mm-hmm. looks from people. That journey mm-hmm. made so much more sense. And it was something that, again, one of my big issues with Bohemian Rhapsody, it never showed him in an intimate situation, even kissing, hugging a man. Mm-hmm. We see it with a woman. Yeah. We seem like in bed naked with a woman. It was like, Okay, that happened. Yeah. So did a lot of other stuff. Right. And Elton John, I think, as a, he, I'm not sure if he was an executive producer on this or the producer on it. Producer. Yeah. Like this is him being like, no, this stuff happened. Yeah. Someone had asked him why he why the movie wasn't PG-13, and he said I didn't live a PG-13 life. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But even yet, I mean, the way they handled sort of his his relationship uh, with Richard Madden's character, mm-hmm. was who was his manager, I thought was tasteful. Like you know yeah. they they. The, the homosexuality in his life wasn't it wasn't like the focal point of the film, but it was definitely a part of his life. And I think the film addressed it like in a way that was important. Like, oh, it's, def- it's definitely a part of his life, and it's mm-hmm. just kind of how he lived. And even the discussions about the ways in which, like, oh, the the blah, the the the, the papers. You, and stuff. you need a girlfriend. You yeah, need a wife. Yeah, you need these you know. things. These these papers and these people are writing about it, and th- they might start sniffing around. So we've got to like the deal da- with that. the damage control. Yeah, watching the a lot of that relationship that. with his parents. Yeah heartbreaking his dad that was that was a tough one but but also uh, like what i loved about terrence performance was it was like that scene as well where he goes to see his dad and mm -hmm. he's he's having these emotional moments and he just you know he's in the car watching his dad and it's it was really great and also i think at the core of this film it's really just a film about a guy 
trying to find love. Yeah. And he had love, right? He had his writing partner. Bernie, yeah. Yeah, played by Jamie Bell, who was great. Jamie, Jamie, another actor yeah. who it seems like always kind of goes under the radar. Yeah, but he's good. Yeah. So, you know, they loved each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you had that, you had, you had that love, and he was always there supporting him and loving him, but he wanted, you know, a certain type of love from his mother, from his dad, from these relationships that he just wasn't getting. And to see him, like, through his life, he's always on that journey to find, mm-hmm. like, something he poured himself into music and that really wasn't doing it for him and the drugs and alcohol didn't do it for him and it wasn't and it's sort of and we don't we didn't say that when he started but like this film was sort of framed around him being in this support group yeah oh yeah so that actually that's kind smart. of a, another christopher nolan type of thing yeah. or tarantino yeah where it starts present day in the film yeah and then it goes all the way back and then yeah. it, but we get this these intercuts of him in this therapy group at Different points. Yeah. And his costume is constantly changing. Speaking of which, yeah. Julian Day, she better get, or I, oh, let me actually check my privilege yeah. and let me make sure that uh, Julian Day is a woman. But Julian Day, uh, the costume designer, they better get yeah. a nomination. They do, like, they do a side by side in the, in, the, in the post credits of like all the different costumes and they, they nailed it. But what I was going to say is like the framing of it. What I appreciated about the every time they cut back to him and him sort of so when you see him walk in, he's full Elton John. Right. <laughs> but at the end of the film he realized, well, that's not really how it happened. Mm-hmm. And you see him, he's kind of wearing just like a Puma tracksuit. And you realize like this is sort of how he's seeing himself as he's telling the story. It goes from like he's in a full costume to like Oh, part- Julian Day is a man. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he's in a full costume. Yes. In a partial costume, in a robe. Like mm-hmm. he, it's constantly changing. And he finally gets to sort of, you see him ask himself at the end, and he's he's having this moment where he's sort of talking to these people in his life, and it's great. It's a great scene. Yeah, Taron gave just this transformative performance. Yeah, he's great. When he goes from those drug-addled, you know, depressive bouts, there's this fantastic transitional scene where it was the same type of thing where he is kind of just freaking out before a show and Bernie is there and, and all this stuff. And he is just breaking down and then they hand him his, his cane right before he gets on stage and he just yeah. snap and turns it on and is on That's stage. That scene like, where he's like trying to smile in the, in the dressing room yeah. in the mirror and like trying to get it together before he gets out on stage. And as soon, but as soon as he hit that stage, he was on. But I love that he apologized to Bernie. Yeah. They have this big, they yeah, that, go that was, at it in the hallway. <laughs> and before he goes out, he goes back. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He's like, I know. Hey. Yeah. That that was Terrence's performance in that. He was great. Uh, he, he really was impressive. Yeah. Most people know him from like the Kingsman film. So it was yeah. unaware like what he could or could not do. Mm-hmm. But he was really fantastic. I think he's going to be on the short list during award season for best performance. I, I would actor. not be surprised yeah. at all. He was really um, good. And it does, it, this movie did what I love biopics to do. Mm-hmm. The end credits as they are rolling, showing real pictures compared to the film. Yeah, that little kid that played Elton looked just that like was a young creepy. Elton. And that was, Everybody was like, Whoa. I think that was the last picture. Yeah, the last one. So it shows like all the costuming and yeah. Julian, Julian Day definitely like changed some of the costuming, yeah. uh, but it was really close. It was incredible. And then the last picture is of the little boy at the piano in the movie and El- the real Elton John at a piano looking back at the camera. It looks yeah. like a clone. Yeah, like that, it's creepy that how much he looked like little Elton. So weird, but just but even this, that kid's performance was great. The beginning yeah. of that whole song where he's coming out, and he's dancing, and mm-hmm. yeah, the the unabashed musicality of this film was my favorite part. 
Like this, I, this not was just. I mean, like I want to like really set the be be transparent with people. It's not just the music. True. Like that scene when he's in the bar and he starts performing. He gets up from the mm. piano and he dances outside the bar. Yeah. And he's going around the neighborhood and he ends up back inside the bar. It's like a it's like a stage play. Yeah. One hundred percent. But you're watching these people dancing, and he runs into like this group of young Indian people, and that that sort of this Bollywood mm-hmm. feel to it. And then he's doing some more dancing and singing. Like, there's a lot of stuff in it that's like that. It's not just like what we saw with Aladdin, where people just are staring off the balcony, right? And they go into a song, mm-hmm. which is what we're used to. Yeah. Even Bohemian Rhapsody, where he's at the piano and he's coming up with, "I had an idea for this song." Yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, it's dun, not. It's not dun, any dun, of like, that. <laughs> it's not yeah. any of that. It's a lot of. It feels very much like a fantasy, in mm-hmm. a, and but in a good way, where you're you're sort of seeing sort of uh, sort of fantasy reenactment of these songs being performed. Yeah, I think that again we have done it, and everybody has done it, and I try not to do it too much. But people are before this came out, they're like, "Oh, how is this going to be compared to Bohemian Rhapsody?" Blah blah blah. Yeah. You made the comparison, and it is apt, even though I don't like the film as much. This is way more La La Land, yes. than Bohemian Rhapsody. One hundred percent, way more La La Land. Like this is like La La Land when they, when they go when they go to the observatory and they're floating around and singing. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's happening in yep. this film. Yeah. And that that was incredible. It just this felt like the highest caliber musical yeah. stage production. Yeah, yeah it it blew me away. Yeah. So my friend so. said it's, it's it's the film Bohemian Rhapsody thought it was. Yeah, and again Dexter Fletcher, who was brought in to save that movie. Mm-hmm. Give him like give him all of these like yeah it's it's it, but it, it's tough though I mean because you're talking about getting licensing for these films getting yeah. an actor who can do it and that is a hard part and it's I, tough I think that to get Rami, a lead Rami was great Rami was great and it was not his fault yeah, the film failed him it's not his fault and it was it was not his fault that they did not allow him to sing <laughs> like that, but, but even when you bring in but again what I mean, would happen with both right you bring in the sort of remaining members of Queen to produce the exactly. film and they have a say in it versus mm-hmm. Elton John has a say <laughs> he was like and like yeah. this is who I this is who I was this is who I am now yeah and giving him a license to do and also I think you know coming off of Bohemian Rhapsody I think people are people like the film whether or not yeah. it was accurate but like what Fletcher was able to do I think gave him a license to sort of maybe do some more stuff with this film mm-hmm. which I appreciate and I thought you know. <clears throat> and it, and you got all the good Elton John songs you want in there, which there were some that I when they started I was like wait do I know the song? By the time I got to the bridge I was like yeah no this song, song. Yeah, yeah um you can find the sound the soundtrack is great I listened to it it's got you know you can see what songs Taryn is singing on there oh so you cool can, you, can, you can hear him singing yeah watching the two of them Taryn and Elton they did an interview it's not Graham Norton um, but something and Elton was like the first time he heard Taryn sing he was like I'm sold. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Like talk about high praise. That would be yeah. high praise of anybody like doing yeah. karaoke. And Elton John says that, but for the person that is going to be playing you, yeah, yeah that's a lot of pressure too. A lot that of pressure. If you're, you're signing that. You're gonna play this role. You're either gonna even like I remember when Will Smith played Ali. It was like that's a lot of pressure playing Muhammad Ali. So yeah. if you don't do this, people are going to be looking at you like the guy who terribly played Muhammad Ali. Yep. Like Zoe Saldana playing uh, Nina, Simone. Nina Simone. I do not want to talk about that. <laughs> Again, uh, <laughs> right? You tried to play Nina Simone and it didn't yep. work out. Yep. Uh, so, Rocket Man, uh, as you could probably tell, we both really enjoyed it. But yeah, officially, uh, I gave it a good. This, it was so, so incredible. <laughs> yeah. Much like, uh, it gets good for me, but much like what we just talked about with um, John Wick, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Whether you love his music, whether you know his music, whether you're familiar with any of the hits, 
it's a lot of fun to follow. It's a fun story. It's good music. It's never really boring. It's paced really well. Yeah. And, and again, like I was. You walk out like, oh, wow, that was two hours. Huh? Yeah. That I was, was smiling yeah. pretty much the entire time. Yeah. Except for those like heartbreaking stuff with the and family. So there are these really hard <laughs> like, moments. Oh. And, you know, he's. And shout out to Richard Madden, who didn't have Ooh. a lot of lines, so but creepy. was like cutting like throwing daggers at Elton John the whole time like <laughs> was really trying to cut him deep uh hey, but he was good because I hated him but now what's his face my guy who runs so their old their old record label dude was hilarious oh yeah <laughs> and then the guy who ran the club in LA was hilarious so mm-hmm. there, there's funny moments in uh Bryce Dallas Howard and yeah. Stephen McIntosh yeah. are his parents yeah crushed it great so you almost don't recognize Bryce Dallas Howard I it took me a second because her like, hair is dark her hair is dark. Yeah. Her face is, it looks a bit fuller, yeah. whether it is makeup or whatever. But yeah, like it, it's good. Yeah, yeah that and was, his dad, the guy who put his dad is good. Yeah, it, it was great cast all around. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then the last thing. So I have not really been able to attend a lot of SIF, the Seattle International Film Sif. Festival, uh, because of all of the issues that I'm going through. But I did make it out to the Shorts Fest. Or at least part of the Shorts Fest. Okay. The Destination Northwest mm-hmm. uh, portion of that. So it was a selection of films that were all either connected in some way to the Northwest. Uh, there was No More White Women, Kushner.exe, Dreamcatcher, Wretch, Rock, Summer Lightning, Topless, Wedding Video, and Witch Oh Well. Uh, I'm just going to talk about a couple real quick. I mean, these are only five minute and like ten minute films. Mm-hmm. Two that really stood out to me. So, Wretch, uh, which was done here locally. Uh, shout out to Abby as well. She was in that, friend of mine. So, this is directed by Tifa Toom and written by uh, Nicole Pouchet. So, this basically takes, and it was funny that I watched this kind of right before Perfection, mm-hmm. uh, The Perfection. So, it all takes place on a bus. This bus is going through, kind of on its way to University of Washington, mm-hmm. on this back road, and somebody starts getting sick on the bus. They think it is coming from outside, so they shut the door, and it is basically this character study of these dozen people on a bus who, when one person starts getting sick and dies, they all start to kind of look at each other and who they are, what their motivations mm-hmm. are. There's, of course, this you know crazy white guy who was like, well, see, only the white people are dying, and it's this guy's fault, and he's Muslim. And he was like, I'm I'm brown, but I'm not Muslim. Like, all these things. So it just it was really well shot, especially when you were doing this all on a bus. That is tough to do when you have a bunch of actors as well. Uh, the character interactions all kind of made sense as well, because in those situations, and you and I have been in situations before where if something happens in a group and a diverse group of people does not take long for people to start looking around being like who did this or like who like where did this come from Mm -hmm. so definitely shout out to to wretch uh 14 minutes i have no idea what kind of release schedule it is going to be with all these shorts uh but yeah definitely check out wretch when you can then the other one uh is called no more white women by nathan kaywood this is a five minute short of Essentially, Nathan Kaywood's real life of being a black man in the dating scene. Mm-hmm. And he keeps getting together with these white women who, without fail, end up saying something racist. Mm-hmm. Some of them do not even recognize it. Mm-hmm. 
again, a situation that you and I have been in a bunch of times. I've never been in that situation. Okay. I haven't. You've never been somewhere where somebody said something. Oh, not dating. Oh, okay. But you've been... Like, yeah. But a, an instantly relatable situation where yes. we have been in a room and somebody says something and you kind of turn around and you're like, sorry, what? Yeah. Because sure. they just do not recognize it. Yeah. Um, at one point, he's in bed with this woman and she's like, oh, you know, I, I love your facial hair, blah, blah. And you're like, he's like, oh, thanks. You're like, can you grow it out like Drake? Yeah. And he was like, no, we're, we're done here. Yeah. So it goes on uh, for that. Just really, really funny. And again, just relatable. Mm-hmm. So uh, I liked that as well. Dreamcatcher had some fantastic editing. It was this Native American story, this Native American poem, essentially, visual poem, with fantastic editing and quick cuts and dropping this fountain pen um, into some liquid. So really cool. But yeah, definitely shout out to SIF uh, and the Destination Northwest programming block. I will put the link to that in the show notes below. So you can actually go and follow those filmmakers and you might be able to watch some of them online. I'm not quite sure. So yeah. So there we go. That was a whole lot of films and stuff. Uh, quick rundown. John Wick 3, we both gave a good to. Aladdin, Tim for some reason gave a good to. Uh, I gave a bad to. Uh, Brightburn, bad. The Perfection, both good. Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, both good. Ma, Good. Godzilla. Did I give it a bad or not? I gave it a bad. Bad. Oh, I gave Brightburn an ugly. I forgot about that. I had changed it uh, from what I first wrote down. Uh, Godzilla was bad. And then, yeah, the Sif Destination Northwest block obviously was good. I love supporting Sif in general, especially the shorts programs, especially the ones that are, you know, Northwest focused or based. So all of those links will be in the description below. Tim. Where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, you can find me at the People's Critic on Twitter, CRTIC. And you can find me on Instagram, People's Critic. And uh, Man the 80s podcast, we're, we're doing next couple weeks, we're doing Boys in the Hood. Oh. And we're doing, even though it's 91, but we were talking about John Singleton. Mm-hmm. And we're doing Return of the Jedi, which is, has killer yep. Ewoks in it. Um, yep. and Cannibali- then, Not cannibalistic. They're killer. They're killer Ewoks. Yeah, they're, they're kill killer people. Ewoks. Yeah. And they were planning on eating yeah. everybody. Yeah. And you can find me. I was on New Day Northwest talking about five summer movies to watch. Yes. So I got to say on television how much I love Tessa Thompson, which was the goal of mine. Mm-hmm. So I can scratch that off. I got to say that there on you go. Tell, TV. So, yeah, that's it. And there's, you know, reviews coming up, some stuff for SIF that, you know how SIF is. You got to hold these interviews. Man. But there's some interviews for SIF that I'm having to hold <laughs> Just... that were fun interviews. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so next week we have what like night. We have a bunch of stuff next week. Late night next week. X Men, your favorite film of the year. Dark Phoenix is next week. Black Black Men in San Francisco is next week. Yeah, um, Dark Phoenix. Uh, Pavarotti. Pavarotti. Um, I'm looking forward to Late Night. Late Night with Mindy Kaling, which, which, which my friend loved. Uh, then last black black last black the last Black Men in San Francisco. Yeah, we have. Screenings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Only going to two. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, all of Tim's links will be in the description. Um, again, thank you, everybody uh, who has reached out. Um, some people did not know what was going on, and so I would get uh, a Twitter message be like, hey. Do people know what's going on? Uh, no. Oh. Uh, well, some people on, on the Facebook page, on my Facebook page, too. But yeah, I just I have had some health issues that I'm still kind of dealing with. Um, they're still trying to figure out what exactly is the problem, mm-hmm. but it has kept me from producing the show that I love to do. It mm-hmm. just I have not had 
energy um, to do much of, of anything because mm-hmm. apparently when you're bleeding internally, you lose a lot of energy. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, thank you to everybody who reached out after a couple of weeks of not seeing a new episode. They mm-hmm. asked what was going on. So I, uh, so I really appreciate that and all of the support that people uh, have been giving. My plan is to is to keep doing this, get back in the swing mm-hmm. of things. Um, like I said, I'm still waiting to hear back from some doctors to get some other information. Huh? But uh, as of right now, you can follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, AboutToReview.com, for full links to Tim and all of the movies that we talked about. Support the show by clicking the support tab. There's a PayPal link as well as an Amazon wish list. Uh, that wraps it up for this super long episode of the About to Review podcast here to amplify diverse voices in media. I have been joined by Tim, the People's Critic. And I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.